0: Well, some of you are into the home renovation shows like Fixer Upper or Property Brothers. How different the shows would be if they left the interiors as is and only renovated the exteriors. That big reveal at the end would take a bad turn the moment that they opened up the front door. And you might like classic cars. Imagine someone restoring a 1965 Ford Mustang, but only the outside. It looks amazing, but the places that you don't see are rusted out and the engine is seized. Well, that's a beautiful piece of junk that doesn't run. Some of you love to cook. So let's say you forgot about some salmon that was in your fridge. It's been there for like eight weeks. And let's just assume that you couldn't smell the nastiness Uh, because of bad nasal congestion or something like that and anyway you took the slimy milky and smelly salmon and you wipe it off and you season it with salt and pepper and you toss it into a a warm cast iron skillet and you cook it until it's golden brown and then you serve it to dinner guests Uh, beautifully garnished with parsley and accompanied with rice pilaf and And pan-roasted green beans and almonds, delicious. And and everything seems good until they eat the salmon. Uh, Your dinner guests will will so appreciate your cooking, uh, if not immediately later that night as they're cuddling the commode. But anyway, not everything looks good. Not everything that looks good is good. Not everything that looks good is good. Prayer can look very, very proper. Very proper. Pious, very passionate from the outside, but inside can be self absorbed hypocrisy. Jesus addressed that kind of prayer in the Sermon on the Mount. What Jesus said in Matthew 23 27 and 28 describes in striking terms the exact thing that happens in self absorbed hypocritical prayer Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Saints, Jesus wants his disciples to pray spirit-filled, sincere, and God-honoring prayers which are consistent with who they really are. Beloved children of God. The the Sermon on the Mount is probably the most famous sermon ever preached, and in the sermon, Jesus taught his disciples how to pray as recipients of God's grace, as children of God, as heirs of his kingdom. He wanted them to pray with a heart for God and with purpose and with power precisely because they belonged to God. So Jesus graciously taught them how and why to pray. Well, the disciples were Jewish, so they were accustomed to prayer. However, Jesus took them deeper into prayer by forming in them a heart for God and training them in the stance, style, and substance of prayer within the covenant of grace. And that's what I'm after as well, that Christ would form in you and me a heart for God and a proper stance, style, and substance of prayer as members of the covenant of grace. And I'm trusting that during these next two months that the Holy Spirit will do just that. Over the course of the next two months, we're going to study how to pray for our Father's gracious reward. We're going to begin this week with the stance and style of prayer. And then in the coming weeks, move into the substance of prayer. So let's establish some, some basics first. What is prayer? Prayer. Simply put, prayer is reverently addressing, petitioning, and thanking the one true God. Uh, Zacharias Yersinus said, prayer consists in calling upon the true God. That's pretty simple. But Yersinus also said, prayer consists in asking at the hands of God such temporal and spiritual blessings as are necessary for us, or in giving thanks to God for the benefits received. End of quote. So, prayer is asking God for temporal and spiritual blessings. Temporal blessings, things such as our daily bread. Spiritual blessings, things like His grace and His Holy Spirit. Both temporal and spiritual blessings are necessary for us to live. And prayer is thanking our Father for giving us those blessings which infers true faith in God's promises. So that's pretty simple. Prayer is calling out to the one true God with petition and thanksgiving in true faith. Your sinus also described the stance of the heart from which true prayer arises. The stance of the heart is very, very important in prayer. Otherwise, prayer would be empty and futile. Here's how your sinus put it prayer arises from an acknowledgement and sense of our need or we could say or or want or we could say sense of our need okay from our need and from a desire of sharing in the divine bounty or we could say sharing in the divine gracious gifts in true conversion of heart and confidence in the promise of grace for the sake of Christ the mediator okay so your sinus gave us four simple things that describe the necessary stance Of the person offering prayer. Number one, an acknowledgement of their great sense of need. In other words, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who mourn. Number two, a desire to share in the divine gracious reward of God. You have to desire to receive God's divine gracious gifts. Three, a a true conversion of heart. Prayer comes from a regenerated or a born again heart. Four, A confidence in the promise of God's grace for the sake of Christ the mediator. For prayer to be prayer, it must arise from true faith or confidence in the promise of God's grace in Christ. So we have to establish first that true prayer arises out of true faith. Uh, Many people go through the external formalities of prayer, but they're not actually praying. Hindus, Buddhists, Muslims, cult members, all of a sudden spiritual soldiers in foxholes uh, and hypocrites, they pray in a certain way, in a certain sense, they utter words, but God doesn't receive their words because they don't pray them in true faith, in solidarity with Jesus Christ, God's Son. Therefore, their words are meaningless and fruitless. The the Westminster Larger Catechism further explains why. Prayer is an offering up of our desires to God in the name of Christ by the help of the Spirit with confession of our sins and thankful acknowledgement of his mercies. Now, my question is who does that? Only those who belong to Christ. The Westminster Shorter Catechism adds the phrase for things agreeable to his will. Who prays for God's will? Only those who belong to Christ. Unbelievers pray, my will be done, and believers pray, thy will be done. And there's a big difference. God is not a genie uh, from, from a lamp responding to the selfish wishes of idolaters. He's God the Father Almighty who responds to the requests of his children because they are offered in solidarity with his beloved Son. So then, what is the goal of prayer? Simply put, to receive the Father's gracious reward. Jesus said in verse six, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Our aim in prayer is private time with our God. Now, Heidelberg 116 asks a a real question that I think we've all at least felt before. Why is prayer necessary for Christians? Haven't you at least felt that sometimes? Why do I need to do this? Why do I need to pray? And Heidelberg 116 rightly answers, gives a very biblical answer because prayer is the most important part of the thankfulness which God requires of us. Moreover, God will give his grace and the Holy Spirit only to those who constantly and with heartfelt longing ask him for these gifts and thank him for them. God requires our thankfulness, brothers and sisters. And the most important part of that thankfulness is prayer. We pray when we're truly thankful. But there's more. The only people who receive God's grace, the only people who receive God's Holy Spirit are the people who relentlessly ask their Father for His grace and His Holy Spirit. Your sinus said this, we do not obtain the blessings which are necessary for us except we ask them At the hands of God, for he has promised them to none but such as ask. Prayer is therefore just as necessary for us as it is necessary for a beggar to ask alms. That's well said. Brothers and sisters, we pray not out of mere duty, but out of necessity, like a beggar seeking alms just to live. Do do you long for God's grace? Do you long for God's Holy Spirit? Well, if so, you will ask your Father for these gifts and you will thank Him for graciously giving you these gifts. We pray because we need and long for the gracious reward of our Father. Do you understand the goal of prayer? I think Heidelberg 117 summarizes what I'm trying to say about prayer And I think it really helps us uh, better understand verses five through eight. It asks this, what belongs to a prayer which pleases God and is heard by him? And I think that's what Jesus is after in verses five through 15. What belongs to a prayer which pleases God and is heard by him? One that we can be confident in. And the Heidelberg answers, first, we must from the heart call upon the one true God only who has revealed himself in his word for all that he has commanded us to pray. Second, we must thoroughly know our need and misery so that we may humble ourselves before God. Third, we must rest on this firm foundation that although we do not deserve it, God will certainly hear our prayers for the sake of Christ our Lord as he has promised us in his word it would really profit you to memorize Heidelberg 117. Excellent. But as we come to verses five through eight and subsequently to the Lord's Prayer, I want you just to remember two little phrases from Heidelberg 117. From the heart and God will certainly hear. From the heart and God will certainly hear. Before unpacking the Lord's Prayer in, in the coming weeks, This morning, I want to answer two questions. One, how does Jesus our Lord not want us to pray, and why? And then secondly, how does Jesus our Lord want us to pray, and why? In verse nine, Jesus says, pray then like this. And he he gives them the substance of prayer in what we call the Lord's Prayer. But before he gave them substance, he established the stance and style of prayer, So today, we're going to look briefly at the stance and style of prayer, and then in the coming weeks, the substance of prayer. So let's ask the question, number one, how does Jesus our Lord not want us to pray, and why? Again, Jesus presupposes prayer for his beloved disciples. Verse five, when you pray. He repeats that two more times in verses six and seven. God's children pray to their heavenly father. Second, to put it bluntly, innovation in prayer is stupid. Innovation in prayer is stupid. Jesus said, when you pray, and then he elaborates on how not to pray and on how to pray. So there is a right way to pray, and there are many, many wrong ways to pray. Jesus taught us the stance, style, and substance of prayer so that we would then avoid the the common pitfalls and pursue prayer which actually pleases our Father, which He wants to receive from us. We don't determine how to approach God in prayer. God does. Jesus says in verse 5, And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. Folks, that's how not to pray. That's how not to pray. Now, the Greek word there is hypocrites or hypocrite. I want you to think of the the greatest actors, Uh, guys like Jack Nicholson, Meryl Streep, Marlon Brando, Catherine Hepburn, Tom Hanks, Ingrid Bergman, Paul Newman, Julie Andrews, lots of good actors. Their craft and greatness is in playing a part in being believable on the screen, in making their audience imagine just for a moment that they are actually the person that they're playing, their character. But see, acting is different than being. Julie Andrews didn't become Maria von Trapp. She acted the part. Hypocrites don't pray. They act the part in order to be applauded by the wrong audience. Prayer is not acting a part, it is communing with God because of who you are. You can't act prayer. So the hypocrites or pretenders, Jesus references in verse 5, are not actually praying, but keeping up false religious appearances. They're playing the part. Hypocrites love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at street corners. Why? And Jesus tells us, he uncovers their true motives in verse 5, that they may be seen by others. They weren't thinking of God. They were thinking of themselves. Prayer for hypocrites is a publicity stunt, something done to advance their reputation as, as an exemplary religious person. Look at me. Hypocrites act the religious part while failing to approach God as father in childlike adoration and faith. Hypocrites go to church, do short-term missions, and say, God bless you, and I'll be praying for you, but not out of love for God, and not out of love for their neighbor, but out of love for themselves. Hypocrites do religious things, sometimes a lot of religious things, to look good in front of others and to feel good about themselves, not to please God, and receive his gracious reward. The Westminster Confession of Faith says, prayer that it may be accepted is to be made in the name of the Son by the help of his Spirit, according to his will, with, and listen to this list, understanding, reverence, humility, fervency, faith, love, and perseverance. See, the problem with the hypocrite's prayer is that the Holy Spirit is not filling and leading it. It is not according to the will of God. And instead of arising from understanding, reverence, humility, fervency, faith, love, and perseverance, it arises from ignorance, self-admiration, pride, cold-heartedness, unbelief, self-love, and vacillation. A A hypocrite's prayer is empty, gibberish. And Jesus teaches his disciples not to be like the hypocrite. Don't be like the hypocrite. But instead, he was teaching them, be like me. Blessed are the pure in heart. The pure in heart pray a certain way. Now, Jesus didn't forbid public prayer. Uh, Jesus prayed in public. The apostles prayed in public. public. God commands corporate prayer, which is public. Public prayer is not the problem. Showy prayer, motivated by self-exaltation and self-righteousness, is the problem. The stance of the heart before God is critical. Dr. Doriani said, if a prayer is blind to God, God is blind to that prayer. Hypocritical prayer is worthless. Jesus said, truly I say to you, they have received their reward, in other words, Hypocrites do not receive the gracious reward of God the Father. There is nothing good in hypocritical prayer. It is useless and unfulfilling. So the stance of our heart in prayer must never be the approval and the admiration of other people. Now jump to verse 7 where Jesus addressed the style of prayer which his disciples should absolutely never use. He said... And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. That's just simply bad style. Bad style. Understand what's behind that statement. Pagans or heathens from the nations worshipped idols. They worshipped false gods. Gentiles were strangers to true and biblical religion and prayer. They just didn't know. They wrongly assumed that that their false gods would hear them if their prayers were wordy and, and lengthy and repetitious, like in a trance, just pouring it out to their many gods, just praying that they would be heard, hoping that they're heard. One source said, pagans repeated the names of their gods or the same words over and over without thinking Jesus is prohibiting mindless, mechanical repetition, not the earnest repetition that flows from the imploring heart, end of quote. Mindless, mechanical repetition. And that sounds like a much modern worship music in many churches. Mindless, mechanical repetition. Earnest repetition, on the other hand, like the widow before the judge in Luke 18. That's entirely right. Let us plead before our Father Another source adds this, they used long list of names of their gods in their prayers, hoping that by constantly repeating them, they would call on the name of the God that could help them. End of quote. That sounds like praying the rosary and calling upon Mary and other saints for help. Incessantly chanting a mantra in a sort of trance or ritualistic way is not honoring to God. Nor is praying to anything other than God. Jesus cares about style. But in this sense, and I think this is good because you'll just I hope that you're like comforting. Fancifulness, complexity, and verbosity are unnecessary. God desires simple, scriptural, and sincere prayers. Look at the Lord's Prayer. Is it fanciful? Complex, verbose, no, no, but it is thankful and worshipful and according to God's will and full of understanding, reverence, humility, fervency, faith, love, and perseverance, all of which please God. So, dear ones, I want you to be comforted by this and encouraged by this. Your prayers do not need to be fancy, complex, and verbose. They need to be simple, scriptural, and sincere. Ecclesiastes 5.2 actually says this. Be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God, for God is in heaven and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. A few sincere words are great. Are great. Now, be careful here. Jesus wasn't arguing for short and superficial prayers like now I lay me down to sleep but he was forbidding the superabundance of ritualistic and hollow words or mindless repetition. You see, sometimes prayer is long. Sometimes it does repeat, and that's wonderful if the prayer is simple, scriptural, and sincere. Long prayers can be great. Some of you have had long prayer times that have been very meaningful, wonderful. That's not what Jesus is getting at. We should even try to use not baby words per se, but scriptural and meaningful words that make our prayers substantial, okay? He's not talking about that. But the length and the eloquence are not why God accepts our prayers. Just be at ease about that. I know, I think some of you have anxiety when it comes to prayer. You don't need it. You don't need it. He accepts your prayers simply because of Christ, of who your Lord is. We're all babbling babies in the prayer thing. Jesus told his disciples not to be like the hypocrites. Jesus said, verse eight, do not be like them, for for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Brothers and sisters, we don't have to wax eloquent in our prayers because God already knows what we need. He, He doesn't need us to inform him of our needs. He already knows our needs. In fact, he knows our needs better than we know our needs. He knows them way past what we're able to articulate with our mouths and hearts. And and then some might say, well then, if he already knows, why do we even have to pray to pour out our hearts to tell him what we need? Why pray when he already knows? I'll just put it like this. My dear wife knows that I love her, but I need to keep telling her. I need to keep telling her, for me, for her, for her marriage. I I think that very natural question arises out of spiritual immaturity and unawareness. God calls us to pray, not because he needs to be informed, but because we need him. And, And we are simply little children dependent upon our father, and he's welcoming us to come to him Calling us to come to him and to ask what's on our hearts. To ask for good things, things that are pleasing to him. We must ask because our father is ready and willing to give. Here's what Calvin said. Believers do not pray with the view of informing God about things unknown to him. Or of exciting him to do his duty. Or of urging him as though he were reluctant On the contrary, they pray in order that they may arouse themselves to seek him, that they may exercise their faith in meditating on his promises, that they may relieve themselves from their anxieties by pouring them into his bosom. In a word, that they may declare that from him alone they hope and expect, both for themselves and for others, all good things, end of quote. Brothers and sisters, our Father knows us. Our Father loves us. Our Father is ready and willing to give us his gracious reward. Prayer is an expression of our faith and trust where we beseech our Father to meet our deepest needs, believe our Father will meet our deepest needs, and bless our Father for meeting our deepest needs. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more, let that ring, how much more, how much more, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Oh, He's ready to give to His children So when your prayers come out and you just don't sound like a pastor, you just don't sound like a PhD in theology, who cares? Who cares? That's not who you are. Be who you are. Be yourself. But here's what is important for all of us. Do our prayers arise from acknowledgement and sense of our great need? From a desire to receive our Father's gracious reward, in true conversion of heart and bold confidence in the promise of God's grace for the sake of Christ, our mediator. Why would we try to be like someone else when our Father knows us exactly as we are? He wants you to come to him. Don't sound like someone else, sound like you. And pour out your heart before the, the Lord. So brothers and sisters. Put off your desire to impress people and put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Run to your father who loves you and pour out your heart to him believing that you have his great promises and blessings in Christ your savior and Lord. Okay, so we're still working out the stance and the style of God honoring prayer. Now number two, how does Jesus our Lord want us to pray and why? Verse six, but when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. Jesus meant get away from the crowds, away from people, away from distractions and devote yourself to God alone. Shut the door, get into a quiet place and retreat into private prayer. Again, he's not prohibiting public or corporate prayer. We should pray with our family and our church family and sometimes in public for the world to see. He's not even so much saying that we all should have our private prayer closet, like a space, like that's where we go. He's not even so much saying that. Many poor Jews only had one-room houses. Where were they gonna go? His point was to be discreet, modest, humble, removed, And isolated so that your devotion can be given entirely to God. I really like how William Hendrickson put it. The main emphasis, however, is not even on the place of prayer, but on the attitude of mind and heart. Not the secrecy is the real underlying thought, but the sincerity. The reason for mentioning the secret place is that the sincere and humble worshiper, one who is not interested in making a public display for the sake of enhancing his prestige, will find the secluded nook or den to be most appropriate for his devotions. It is there that he can shut out the world and be alone with his God. That's it. That's it. It is there that he can shut out the world and be alone with his God. Jesus said, pray to your father who is in secret. The omnipresent God of all creation is everywhere at one time. And it is this almighty God who draws near to you and me. Brothers and sisters, in those secret and private and isolated and removed times, he's there He's with us. He's listening. We have an ear. He's in secret. He's not distant. He's close. How close, how intimate, how loving, how affectionate, how wonderful that we have an ear with God through Christ. Time just to to commune with Him. God, He is transcendent and holy, and yet He draws ever so close to you, the weary traveler. To bless you, to commune with you as his child in prayer. So, our posture is is to come in childlike faith, and his posture is to bless as the Father blesses. So, ask him. And this is our stance. This is our stance. It's focused on our loving Father in the quiet corners of our solitude. And our style is simple, childlike petitions, leave the fancifulness at the door. Just be a child coming to your father. Our father is with us in the secret places and we approach him as a child to a father expecting good things, trusting good things, thanking for good things. Why pray? Jesus promised. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. So let me ask, do you need a reason beyond that? The gracious reward of your father. I know prayer is tough. I struggle with prayer. I have never been good at prayer. Never. I've often been insincere. But if you're like me, might this one little line help us in our prayer? Might it ignite in us a fervor for prayer? And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. We can't impress God with our language. We are but mere toddlers approaching him with confidence and expectation. Where are your eyes in prayer? Your thoughts? Your emotions? Leon Morris said our prayers should have a single eye on God, not with a side glance at people who could be impressed. Isn't that good? Who cares if people see you or me? Who cares? Who cares? God sees you. Who cares if people are impressed with your prayers? That was eloquent. They are so good with their words. Who cares? Who cares? God accepts and loves you because of Christ who intercedes for you. So be confident that your father sees in secret and will reward you. He is enough. We don't need the applause of anyone else. And let us never forget the truth behind what Calvin said when Christ says, Thy father shall reward thee. He declares plainly that all the reward which is promised to us in any part of Scripture is not paid as a debt but is a free gift. It is a free gift. We're not earning it. When I talk about prayer for our Father's gracious reward, I put the word gracious in there to remind us that the reward is grace. The the free gift of God, unmerited, unearned, undeserved, yet received by grace alone, through faith alone in Christ alone. We pray because we have been mercifully and graciously rescued from our sin, guilt, and misery, rescued out of it. We pray because Christ has mercifully and graciously brought us into the presence and fellowship of God as Father to receive great blessings from Him. We pray with awareness of our great need and unworthiness, yet, We pray with an awareness of our Father's acceptance and love which we have completely in Christ Jesus our Lord. Therefore, we pray in true faith with a desire and expectation to receive from our Father His gracious reward and we pray simple, scriptural, and sincere prayers with heartfelt gratitude for receiving our Father's gracious reward. That is our stance. That is our style. Now before I end, I want to make sure that you understand something. Listen very carefully. The believing children of God are not unbelieving hypocrites. There's a difference. Two groups of people. The believing children of God are not unbelieving hypocrites, though they sometimes act and pray hypocritically. Did you get that? That's huge. Or you'll leave here just maybe thinking that you might not be saved or something. I don't know. But there are unbelieving hypocrites inside the visible church. The wheat and the tares. Jesus talks about this. They are part of the visible church. Hypocrites. They don't truly believe. However, brothers and sisters, and I speak to you spirit-filled brothers and sisters, you are in Christ. You belong to Christ, body and soul, and the Spirit is alive and active in you. You're not a hypocrite, but you do sometimes act and pray hypocritically. Now, how about I just make some personal confessions? And maybe you'll identify with some of them and these will help you in some way. As God's beloved adopted son who loves his father, I have prayed hypocritically. I tried to impress others or gain the approval of others by my praying. Maybe they think that I'll be really smart and intelligent and I'll finally be validated, that I'm not a moron, still a moron. Uh, So I tried to impress. I often lack the desire to pray, just don't wanna do it. I find it easier to pray with others than in private, alone with my father. Isn't that interesting? Why? What's behind that? Sometimes I'm more concerned about being an example to my children and more than, be an example to them, more than I am communing with my God. And that's dangerous because, yes, we should model prayer for our kids, but no, that should not be our primary motivation. I have often failed to approach God in prayer with proper reverence and all cognizant of his holiness and his righteousness and his magnificence and his beauty and his love and his peace and his welcoming nature. I just, I'm not always in tune with that. Sometimes my mind wanders in prayer. I lose focus. Sometimes I repeat myself over and over, same words, I'm boring myself. And, and there are times where I, I fall asleep because I'm not giving it much careful thought. It's like I'm not even trying. And, and sometimes wicked thoughts enter into my, my mind as I'm praying. Horrible things. Sometimes I ask my father with extremely selfish motives, kind of like, my will be done. My will be done. Making it sound pie. My will be done instead of thy will be done. And I guess a way to say this is my prayer is often weak immature, lacking in faith. I'm a believer, but it lacks faith. I need to be strengthened by by my Father. Do you identify with any of that? Can you relate to any of that? And it goes deeper than that. Let me add to that. I've often been discouraged and deflated by comparing myself to the stories that you hear of devout and pious men and women who spent hours in prayer on their knees every day. They called James the man with camel knees because he had calluses on his knees from praying so much. Martin Luther once said, Quote, work, work from early until late. In fact, I have so much to do that I shall spend the first three hours in prayer, end of quote. Oh my, oh my. In one sense, hearing that should encourage us that God's grace is extraordinary in sinful men and women. The communion that he brings for for striving and toiling saints who are in the mess of it, But in my weakness, in my faithlessness, stories like that often deflate me. I don't, that's not happening, you know? Now, dear ones, here is our hope. Our Father does not accept and love us on the basis of our prayers. He accepts and loves us on the basis of Christ who has redeemed us. The Father doesn't hear you because of the worthiness or quality or eloquence or prolixity of your prayers. He hears you because of the worthiness and mediation of Christ your Savior and Lord. Christ lived his life on earth in ceaseless and unbroken communion and fellowship with his Father. He prayed short, he prayed long. Jesus is the sincere, loyal, devout, pious, religious, dedicated, and committed, spirit filled Son who prayed with perfection. Every time he opened his mouth, he is the exemplar. He is the great intercessor. He is our mediator. We are heard because of him. We are heard because of Him. Our prayers are effectual because of Him, because of Christ. The Father is pleased with us and our prayers because our Father is pleased with Christ who bought us for His own. So in your weak and needy and pathetic prayers, look to Christ. Look to Christ. Just rest in Christ or, as the Heidelberg 117 says, rest. Love that word. It's hard for me to rest. Rest on this firm foundation that, although we do not deserve it, God will certainly hear our prayer for the sake of Christ our Lord, as he has promised us in his word. Oh, that Christ would form in us a heart for God and a proper stance style, and substance of prayer as members of a covenant of grace. And let us together pray for our Father's gracious reward.